too hot. <laughs> oh, don't you start. I was just going to say, we're in the last week of March. Where has the month gone? It's marched on by. <laughs> and I know we can't keep talking about the weather every week. We mentioned it last week, but it has been the most glorious weather the last yeah, couple of Steve, days. We're English. That's all the British ever do. We is could talk, talk about, about it every weather. hour. <laughs> yeah. Well, they say, if you wait a minute, and it'll change. <laughs> well, it is quite It is quite funny. I do, um, I have team calls with the head office of the company that I'm working with who are in, in New York. And I, I do find myself every, you know, beginning of every week, come on and everyone's like, you know, how was your weekend? Oh, it was good. And there's, there's always me saying, what was the weather like? <laughs> I really must learn not to do that. I know, but it is, it. It's almost like, what's the weather like? Or would you like a cup of tea? Yes. Thank you very much. Yes, that's the first question I ask you when you arrive, isn't I it? I know, I know. So I'm very grateful for the sunshine because a few of my tulips have burst into life. So I now have a few bunches of flowers for Mother's Day. Yes, it's this this Sunday. Yes. Isn't it? Yes. Yes, and you're very organised and you've ordered some for your mum. Oh, thanks for saying <laughs> Well, thank you for saying that. Oh, well, we'll loud. just cut that out. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, don't you, don't you worry, don't you worry. Um, but yes, I, I was hoping that you would have enough, enough flowers. Father's Day. Father's Day is in June, which I do believe is a a man-made, not man-made, you know, a, a convoluted, a no, a convoluted. A Hallmark card. I don't want to say Hallmark. Um, a contrived, is yeah. a contrived, I believe. Um but Mother's Day, is it not something that the big houses would give the, the maids the day off, or is that Boxing Day? No, I think that might be, but well, in fact, I say I think, I know, because I did look this up because it's always intrigued me about why Mother's Day is different in the UK than it is in a lot of other territories who also have Mother's Day, like the US, when it's a completely different time. And what I found out was in the UK, and this is true of like many traditions and, you know, festivities and everything, that it began with a religious purpose. Chris, it always starts in Christianity, doesn't it? Yeah. So it was held on the fourth Sunday in Lent, exactly three weeks before Easter Sunday, and was originally a day to honour and give thanks to A, the Virgin Mary, um, who was also known as Mother Mary, but also the celebrations needed people to visit their mother church, which was the main church or cathedral in an area that a family was based. And that's why it became known as Mothering Sunday. And then that became ultimately what we now really call Mother's Day. Yeah. In the US. Even though it is still referred to, though, as Mothering Sunday, isn't it? It is in the UK. Uh, amongst the older the yes, sort of older it is generation. in the UK. But in the US... It was nothing to do with the church at all. And actually, it became an official US holiday in 1914. Oh, so relatively very new. Yeah. When the president at the time, who was Woodrow Wilson, uh, declared that the second Sunday in May um, was a day of public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. And it had started an, a woman called uh, Anna Jarvis had been campaigning for it since 1908. She was based in West Virginia and she wanted a holiday in honour of her mother, who was a community activist. Oh, wow. And that's how it all started. So it was a, uh, there's no similarity no. between how the two no. came about, which I just thought was really, really 
interesting. It is. It is a lovely holiday. And I have very fond memories of burnt toast and the children whispering and, you know, trying to cook you a special breakfast and from very early age. Now I think it is very, it is very nice. So have you got a lot of, a lot of orders for this? No, no, I've just capped it at three. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) I went around counting flowers last night. (laughs) Oh, no, really? No, no, I've got enough. I've got enough. But Richard's like, why did you do that? I said, well, because I've got flowers. He said, well, what if you don't? I said, I will. I will. No, I do. I do. Don't look at me worriedly like that. No, okay. No, I'm not. No, I'm no, not. no, no. I do have flowers. Good. Um, but just not huge, great buckets. But yeah. I certainly have enough. I mean, God, I planted two thousand tulips. Oh my God! You know, but they're not all out yet. Though, no, are they? no, 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 no. Because I've got lots of different varieties. Do you stagger plant? What well, I don't. What do you call it um, when you when you plant them at different times? So you... Well, stagger. Yes, yeah. or succession planting. Succession planting. That doesn't really. Well, there are different varieties of tulips, which is brilliant. You can have early mid and late okay and if the weather is in your favor then it they it does stagger the season yeah um but sometimes they can all come at once right um, but it always amazes i mean it amazes me how does the variety know that it's an early one how does it know because i've got tulips that are in flower now and i've got some that have only just broken the ground which are obviously the later varieties how do they know when they were all planted at the same time yeah well, I can't answer that question. Mother Nature, she knows best. <laughs> I can tell you about Mother's Day, but I can't tell you about that, I'm afraid. And um, since we last met, have you had a good week? Uh, yes, yes, I have. Oh, you've been, been in London, haven't you? I've been in London. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Have you heard on the news, I thought it was quite interesting, how um, workwear, how people used to say that, you know, the, the suit is now dead because it's not considered to be in the, the national shopping basket anymore. But the fact that people are still dressing up but it's kind of mix and match casuals. You know, it'll be not necessarily the whole suit. It'll be the suit trousers with a different top. Yeah. And people and black tie sales are through the roof. And people at weekends, people want to dress up. Having spent two years in tracky bottoms, not that I own a pair, but, you know, elasticated waist. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a bit weird for me. I haven't worn a suit to work for, I would say, 20 years. Wow. 20 years. You know, working in the, you know, on the fringes of the entertainment industry, which I'd done for, in, in licensing, you know, it was just very, you're dealing with a lot of creatives yeah. and animators and producers and everything. And they're not, it's just not an environment where everyone's wearing a suit all the time. I get so, it. But I think it is nice that there are occasions that you still need to be able to oh, dress I don't, up. I don't mind putting one on. I mean, but, you know, when Stephen, all that time I was doing that for many, many years, Stephen would wear a suit and tie yeah. to work every day. Yeah, but Stephen would wear a suit and tie in the garden. Well, that's true. <laughs> my, father, my father on the farm used to always wear a tie because it kept his neck warm, you know, because you have your shirt done up and it's right. equivalent to wearing a scarf. So in the winter, he would always wear a tie. That's so funny. You know, so on funny. a Viola check shirt, yes. he'd have a tie on. I mean, Stephen now wears a, wears a suit. I think in in we've talked we talked about it several times about why he still dresses quite formally. I think to go to the office for him, he feels like that's work. Yes, that's how, and he feels that if he doesn't wear that, then he's not in the right frame yes. of mind. Which I completely I understand and support. Wouldn't have anybody against doing that. But I think because I've done it for so long, I just have a completely different mentality yeah, yeah. over it. Yeah, no, Richard doesn't want a suit for work for no. years. No. Years. 
Master Chef's back. Oh yes, yes, yes. yes. Oh, the new format. Just know yes. why we watched that. I quite like it actually. I so I quite like that change. So just to explain, there's only been one episode, which was um, went out this week, but. Rather than cook in front of the judges for the first round, the contestants, as a nine in each episode, cook their signature dish and then present it straight to the judges without the judges watching. So they basically finish cooking it and take it straight away. And the, judges the, judges. Have a, the judges have a menu, don't they? So they know yes, what so they're, they know eating. What they're getting. And didn't you say it's the first time they've well, had I read Well, I read an interview with, uh, I think it, I can't remember whether it was with John Turrell or, or Greg Wallace, um, who said that they love this round because it's the first time they're getting the food served to them hot because As it, it should go be. straight from the kitchen. Because, of course, for everything else, they've got to wait to have it everything wiped down and tidied up and filming to recommence. So by the time they get to eat the food, I suspect half the time it's they've obviously done a lot of thinking, <laughs> a lot of thinking, and a lot of brainstorming on how they can change the format. Yeah, and just I think just to keep it a bit fresher. I mean, after twenty years. Yeah, I mean, we did say the bit that did annoy us were. Three that weren't cooking were sort of sat on stools commenting. Yeah, which seemed a bit pointless yeah. to me. I don't need why they need to make sort of some of the inane comments yeah. so anyway. But that, I can forgive that because actually yeah. it was, but there were some stunning. I know. I mean, these are amateur. High. I know. Amateur cooks. It and of course you amazing. couldn't, you couldn't apply, could you? No. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I think I'm going to quite enjoy that. So, but poor, poor Stephen now, he has to have that. And <laughs> great British menu. Great British menu has lost it for me slightly. I've gone off the ball slightly. Really? Yeah, yeah. Lost interest a bit. Wasn't enamoured with <coughs> the Southwest and haven't actually seen any of the Northern Ireland ones. Oh, there's one guy this week who's just amazing. Well, maybe amazing. I'll watch tonight. And what I love about him is he's been on it before. He's one of those returning chefs that, that has competed before and he got as far as the final round, but he didn't get a dish selected okay. for the banquet. So he got very, very close. And apparently it was very, very close on okay. one of his dishes. So he's back and he works for Paul Ainsworth. Oh, okay. So he doesn't have his own restaurant, but he works for the chef Paul Ainsworth, who has, I think, won a couple of courses and is a very well-known chef and is one of the, the, oh, interesting. the, the chef um, judges on Great British Menu. But... He has obviously really thought through what he's doing when he gets into the chamber with the guest chef judge, because you know that bit where it's like, you know, are you happy with that? Is this the flavour combination that you wanted? Do you think this could more have, have more acidity? He's got absolutely the right answers, and he's he's very confident okay. when he's talking through um, rather than saying, you know, oh, um, yes, oh, I think yeah, so, yeah. or, oh, yes, that's how I wanted it. He'll say, yes, I cooked it like this because of this and because of that, and he's very clear. Oh, on, good for him. So I've been, I've been really, and his dishes have been All right, amazing. I'll, I'll, it is, I will watch tonight. It, it's worth watching. Oh, yeah, he's through, so it's worth watching. And actually, the, some of the others were really disappointing. There were some quite low scores okay. apart from his okay. um, this week. So, so, yes, so there you go. And can you believe it's our 50th edition? Can you believe it? How long did we get to say that as well? 50. I know. I know. And you being only 37. Well, I'm also what I what I find amazing is when we started doing this, we thought, oh, we'll do a couple of episodes. And we never thought, we never thought we'd be here 50 editions later. A still being able to find things to 
We'd still being able to talk to each talk other, to each other, and not fall out. On. But also that people are so engaged and yes. and seem to enjoy it, which and is um, which is lovely. Recently, had quite an influx of American followers. We have, life, which we is have. wonderful, which is lovely. So, oh yes, we're we're global, global, we're global. Well, and the Channel Islands, yes. And so, yes, Scandinavia yes. and Australia. And New Zealand. And global. <laughs> <So> global. Global. <laughs> so, uh, so, yes, so we'll be celebrating as we go through the episode. But, uh, yes, it's quite a milestone for us. Yeah. So thank you all. Well, it's that special time of the month <laughs> that doesn't sound right at all. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> Where we welcome back my husband. Cocktail... I mean, there's a lot of lot of preamble here. <laughs> cocktail connoisseur Stephen Dunk. Welcome Thank back. Thank you. So for my music intro oh, this week, oh, no, um, I thought I'd give you a little bit of a clue as to which cocktail it is that I'm going to be discussing. So here goes. Any clue? Well, that's Proud Mary. It is indeed. Well done. <laughs> so what's the cocktail? Bloody Mary. It is. Well done. Yes, you win the prize. Thank you. So as it was the 50th edition and your special anniversary edition, I thought I would try and find a celebratory cocktail. But we did that last month because the French 75 to me and champagne is celebration. So I thought maybe we'd find a cocktail that would be good for a hangover <laughs> once all the celebrations and the parties have been um, concluded. Okay. So that's why I've chosen the Bloody Mary. So it's one of those drinks that's beloved by many after a heavy night. Um, it's particularly um, served sort of pre-lunch or brunch. And bizarrely, people seem to drink them on aeroplanes. Um, some people say it could even be a meal in itself. Um, so do you know what the basic ingredients are? Tomato juice. Indeed. Well, it is one of them. Yes. So basically it's vodka and tomato juice. Just think that it's those sort of underestimates the nuance of what makes a good one and what it's what you add to them that can make or break uh, the drink. A lot of it's down to personal taste because you have people who like spicy and not spicy. So this is how you go about making it. I think you should make it in a jug rather than an individual glass because um, it's a drink that's good to share and it's also something which um, you always want a bit of a top up of. Right. The basic thing is vodka over ice, black pepper, a couple of pinches of celery salt, a tiny amount of cayenne. <laughs> <laughs> A good squeeze of lemon juice and top up with tomato juice and then add some Worcester sauce and a bit of Tabasco. So that is your basic Bloody Mary. Obviously, the spices you can adjust depending on what you uh, you like. And now, when you order one, when we're out and about, you always ask for extra Worcester sauce and extra extra Tabasco. Yes, I particularly like the Worcester sauce. That's my that's my or as as our American friends call it, Worcestershire Worcestershire sauce. sauce. Indeed. Now the issue really is is about how much vodka versus how much tomato juice. I was going to ask that. Yes. So every recipe I've looked at gives a different amount. 
um, including one which is like five parts tomato juice to one part of vodka, um, which to me is just is hardly, you can hardly taste anything. The uh, International Bartenders Association recipe states that it's two to one. So two parts tomato juice to one part vodka, which sounds about right to me. But there are some ways that you can elevate the drink further. What are those? Well, these are my little sort of um, personal kind of uh, uh, additions. Um, one is to add grated horseradish, which gives it a little bit of a kick as well. And if you've got plenty of time, what you can do is you can grate the horseradish into the vodka and let it infuse. And then, you know, you can leave that even for a week or so and then strain out the horseradish and uh, use that. Um, I have seen people use like sort of cream of horseradish as a sort of shortcut, which is fine, but it does mean you have to make sure that you mix it in properly. Otherwise you just get big old lumps of it. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, which actually Charlotte was the one that told me about this, and it really does make a difference, is add a slot of sherry to the mixture. And that actually sort of adds a little bit of a sweetness to it, which makes it very nice indeed. Now, when you say a slot of sherry... Well, <laughs> I mean, if you're making a jug of it, then, you know, add a sort of two or three tablespoons. If you're making just... Uh, individual uh, glass for somebody then you know a teaspoon maybe something like that not too much all of this really is down to taste the other thing is that you can do is you can make the bloody mary mix i.e everything other than the vodka up in advance and stick it in the fridge and if you do that and let it chill you can then add the vodka and it means you don't need to have the ice because at the end of the day ice just dilutes everything <laughs> There are, and you see this in the supermarkets, you can actually buy Bloody Mary mix, which is in effect the tomato juice and all the spices without the vodka. Right. So that is a sort of cheats way. Um, but that really still means that you probably need to adjust it to taste as well. So the other thing about a Bloody Mary, depending on where you go, is how they become garnished. So what's your... Well, I was going to ask that. So it always seems to me it's got a stick of celery in it. Yes. So um, uh, traditionally, actually only had lime, uh, uh, um, lemon wedges in it. Um, although uh, most places now will stick a, a celery, a stick of celery in it and a stick, a stick, stick a stick of celery in it. But I have been to places where they've almost made an entire meal out of it. So I've seen um, Bloody Marys with shrimp, with bacon pieces, with cheese, with olives, with pickles, etc., all kind of um, added onto the glass, which in effect kind of makes it a meal in its own right. Good Lord. Yes, indeed, indeed. Can you use anything other than vodka? I mean, does anyone ever use gin? Well, I am going to come to that in a minute, actually. Oh, okay. Um, so, yes, there are things that you can do. So there are various different um, variations. So you can substitute the tomato juice for clamato juice, which is a mixture of clam juice and tomato juice. And you can buy that in the supermarket. Don't think I should be having that. Don't be not good for you because you're allergic to yeah. all of that. Um, and that makes a bloody Caesar. You can also use beef bouillon instead of tomato juice. And that makes a bull shot. So the same vodka and all the spices, but with just beef bouillon. And that makes something called a bull shot. Never heard of that. Um, if you use gin instead of vodka, it becomes a red snapper. Right. And if you, you make a version without any alcohol in it, it's called a bloody shame. 
I thought it was called a virgin, Mary. Well, I call it a bloody shame. <laughs> I think the Australians do as well. Like many of these cocktails, it was actually invented in the 1920s by somebody called Fernand Pieto, um, who worked, um, who's working at the New York bar in Paris, which became Harry's Bar. And that's where the French 75, 75, yes, indeed, was invented. So um, Pieto was known as Pete, and he actually moved to America and became the head barman at the King Cole Bar at the St. Regis Hotel in New York, where I was only a couple of weeks ago. Um, and um, I actually was at the St. Regis, uh, at the King Cole Bar as well. Wow. Um, okay. But he refined the drink further. Um, and to this day, the Bloody Mary is the bar's signature cocktail which I wish I'd known because I would have had one. Oh, you didn't have one then? No, I, I didn't know that it was their signature cocktail. Oh. I have another cocktail when I go to places like that, but we'll maybe <laughs> that's, that's do that another in another. Time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so a couple of other bizarre facts. Um, the Bloody Mary is one of those drinks people seem only to drink on a plane, but there is a reason for that. And what is that reason? <laughs> so at 30,000 feet, your taste buds change and salt and sweet taste become dulled. And this can be countered by umami-rich ingredients, which airlines actually do when they're making plain food. They actually spice, up, spice it up, if you like, using umami kind of ingredients. But both tomatoes and Worcestershire sauce are umami-rich. So that means that your um, cocktail, uh, your Bloody Mary on a plane actually tastes better than something else where your taste buds have been dulled. So that's one thing. And finally, uh, does it really cure a hangover? I was going to ask that. Well, probably not, I'm afraid. Uh, we might like to think that the salt replaces electrolytes and the tomato is vit vitamin laden, but it's the vodka which gives us a temporary kickstart, although it may mean that the hangover eventually will still come and it could be even worse. So with that, cheers and happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you very much. is normally our seasonal ingredient but last week we asked you for your recipes forgotten that you've now reinstated and we've had a yes or blast from the past as Stephen blast started from the calling past, it and we've had quite a few we have we've had quite a few responses but one of the things that we that we had a couple of emails and messages from people saying um oh only just heard it and this was like yesterday yeah because of course one of the things that we realized is that not everybody listens as soon as the episode comes out. So people are a little behind. So we are going to mention a couple of recipes today. And but we will also um, cover some over future episodes. Yeah, it might be some sort of ongoing. Well. Yes. An ongoing. Indeed. Doobry. Indeed. A doobry. A doobry. A doobry. I don't know where that is. Yeah. Uh, section. Okay. <laughs> section. So last week we mentioned the hot artichoke, artichoke dip and Stephen... Steve's fish pie with crisps. Yes. Which I was a little rude about. I yes, apologise. Um, and then uh, we were chatting at home, and Izzy said, Oh, we used to always make that when we were little called Green Dragon Meatballs. And I think the boys quite liked it because it had the word balls. And when you're <laughs> a young, you know, anything like that is a laugh. And it was just, I think it was with pork mince and it was a sort of soy Asian mince balls which I served with noodle and it had like a sticky black sauce and the kids just used to like it I used to do that quite a lot haven't done that for years I recently said I made shepherd's pie a couple of weeks ago haven't made that for years I think there's a lot of sort of nursery food because obviously as your family 
ages and yeah. so to the t- taste buds. You know, meatloaf. You said you never make a, made a meatloaf. I've never made a meatloaf in my life. Well worth it. Delicious. Great cold picnics. Um, and then I also said you drop scones. When I first had, when we were little, we used to always have drop scones. Then when I had the arga, I started again because it was really, they're really easy to make on the baker glide on the simmering plate. And I used to do that for when the children came home from school. Well, easy. I mean, it was wonderful. Haven't made those in five years. So how do you make drop scones? It's just a batter mix. And I think you put, it's a thicker mixture. Right. And, and you just put it on the griddle plate yeah. and, and flip them. them. And you can have them with butter and syrup. Fantastic. Or butter and jam. Have you never done drop no, scones? No, I haven't. No, Ooh. I haven't. No. Well, when you've got your house full for Easter, they'll be brilliant to do. Yeah. Because yeah. they're just so instant for the kids. Oh, okay. Um, because you, you know, you do them like a uh, what's that size? Yeah, they're like an Amer- they, they're a bit like an American pancake, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, but small, so, yeah, like the size yeah, of a yeah. sort of flattened yeah, tennis and ball, and then quite, quite, quite thick. thick. Yeah. yeah, I think you do put bicarbonate for them to bubble up. Right. Okay. Or self-raising. <laughs> I don't know. But I can look it up. Thank you. Yes. Drop scones. Excellent. And then we've had an email from Miriam from Northwich. And she said that it was really funny when she was listening to the episode, because literally a few weeks ago, somebody had asked her why she hadn't made any Aunt Polly biscuits, also known as concrete biscuits. Concrete. Concrete biscuits. And she said she'd forgotten all about them. So when we brought it up um, as well, she dug out the recipe. Um, And she's not quite sure where the recipe came from, but it was a friend who lived in the Lake District. So it's maybe it's likely to have come from the Lake District area. But so for the for Aunt Polly Biscuits, which are nicknamed Concrete, it's Marge, Golden Syrup or Treacle, Caster Sugar, Quaker Oats, Self-Raising Flour, bicarb of soda and then some um, cooking chocolate and you just mix it all together um, with your hands into small balls put on a grease tray or parchment flatten them a little and cook for 10 minutes in a hot oven Ooh, which sounds that really just reminds easy. me of a biscuit that my mother used to make she used to make these things called fork biscuits and as you had the dough you would then half the, the mixture and you'd put grated lemon zest in one half and then you'd put cocoa powder in the other half and you'd roll them into like little balls, and then you with a with a fork, you'd make an indentation of the forks. So that's why they were called fork biscuits, and bake them in the oven. It's so funny. I mean, that sounds just so straightforward. Yeah, I know. It's so easy. But, and they were like a buttery, sort of shortbready. Well, you do wonder with this, with the name concrete biscuits. Maybe that's maybe why. They're, <laughs> maybe they're quite hard. But I may have to give it a go. Yes. So, Thank you very much for sending that in, Miriam. Thank you. I know, and I'm going to have to look up fork biscuits. Yes. You see, once you start talking about it, other other recipes start coming to mind. I mean, in the States, there used to be like a a fridge dough mixture that when I was living there, as I was a nanny, and you would make this in a long, long, like, sausage, and you'd roll it up in cling film and keep it in the fridge. And then when you wanted to bake fresh cookies, you would just cut off, you know, three or four slices when you fancied it. So you... And I thought that was a really good idea. I've never seen that here. Is that must be just an American thing? Oh, right, that's a good idea. It's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or then there's other things that you can get them all all ready and freeze them in a tray, and then you can just bake them in the oven as you go. But I'm sure there'll be lots of recipes that will be popping up in all your minds. There will. There will. So, as a reminder, just email them to us at voyagearoundmyarga at gmail dot com. What is the book of the week? 
It's not a book. It's not even two books. It's a whole cornucopia of books. Bookshelf? No, it's a bookshop. Now, in London, there is a bookshop called Books for Cooks. And I think the clue's in the name. Um, it's a bookshop which is only sells recipe books and food related. I have wanted to go there for ages and ages and ages, but hadn't quite appreciated. I knew it was Notting Hill area, but didn't quite realise where. And I was looking on the, the map and it is three tube stops for my local tube. So what's the London, tube stop? Uh, Labrook Grove. Oh. So you just go to Labrook Grove and it's literally five minute walk from Labrook Grove. It, and I went, I went this week while I was in London and it is fantastic. And you didn't buy any books? Yes, of course. I Which are? Uh, Anna Del Comte's Gastronomy of Italy. I really wanted one of her her Italian books. And uh, and then an Elizabeth David. Oh, yeah. so maybe we'll be doing a little Italian feature. Yes. We haven't done much Italian, have No, we? we haven't. We haven't. It is the friendliest bookshop I've been into. They were, and the guy who owns it, it's been around, it's, it, by the way, it's been around for a few years. And it, the guy who owns it now, Eric T-R-E-U-I-L-L-E. He's French. I'm sorry. I've just ruined his name and I do apologise for that. So it was originally set up by a woman called Heidi years ago and he bought the shop from her. And what is so clever is they have a kitchen at the back of the shop and then each day that they are open and they're open from um from tuesday to saturday they do recipes from a book from the shop you can't book in advance lunch starts at 12 you're recommended to get there about 11 30 11 45 and everyone has the same food so you'll cook whatever he has cooked and his chefs have cooked that day but from one of the books in the in the shop but here's the kicker seven pounds for three courses <gasps> seven pounds amazing but you didn't get to eat unfortunately i couldn't that day but i am absolutely going to go back and and do it it looks fantastic and they're knowledgeable it was lovely i was there quite early so they opened at 10 and i got there i think it was about quarter past 10 i got in and um eric the owner was with there and sort of welcomed me in which was lovely and sort of asked if i needed any help and i said no i was just browsing and a woman popped her head around the door and in a right panic saying, I need a recipe to do apple crumble. I've got some friends coming from the States and I've never made an apple crumble before. He spent 15 minutes with her talking her through, didn't try and sell her any books, just talked her through the best way to make an apple crumble. It was also hearing a chef tell So is he a was, chef? Yeah, he's a, he's a chef. Was a mate, was, oh, it was just, I've and he was, here. he was so, so, patient and helpful and then the way that the shop is laid out um it does feel a little like someone's front room almost but it's i mean it's stacked floor to ceiling with cookbooks and how many people can this little restaurant cafe fit oh well, they, probably about i would say about 20 maybe oh. 20 seven pounds for three courses seven pounds for three courses and what a fantastic or thing. five pounds for three for two for i mean students to yeah. go but, and you don't know, you can't book, you don't know what no. they're going to call. It's only, and it uses ingredients that they can get from the Portobello market that day. 
So it's all very fresh. Again, so probably very seasonal, very local. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. of which we yeah. try to be all yeah. about. Yeah. And then just just the, the way that the shop's organised is it's by cuisine. So you've got English and then you've got vegetables and you've got meat and you've got Italian and Spanish and French and South American and Middle Eastern. It so, must have been like being in a sweet shop. Oh, my God, it was amazing. Did you not know where to look yeah, or where to it buy? it was just... And it's got the classics, so, you know, if you want the real classic And are there sort of sofas and chairs yeah, that you could chairs, sit and look? there's chairs, there's Because it sofa. sounds like you could spend a, a morning oh, there really? and he wouldn't push yeah. you out. Yeah, I realise that it's very specific. It's one shop that we're talking about. It's not a chain, so, you know, it's not accessible to everybody. But if you are interested in cookbooks and recipe books and food it is well worth a visit um so it's called book for cooks oh and by, also, by the way it has got the worst website you've ever seen oh i was going to say it is, it? is terrible website follow them on instagram but literally they just pick post a picture of the front of a cookbook no narrative no nothing and i love there's something i love about the simplicity yeah. All. He knows what he is. He knows what he's doing. He knows who his audience is. And he's, he's, he's doing that without having to feel like you have to play the whole social media game and everything. I'm re, I was blown away. It just sounds very uh, simplistic, but not in a simplistic, yeah. but what a fantastic. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant and well worth a visit. <laughs> So over in Charlotte's Corner, what have you been up to? Weeding. <laughs> oh, joy. Oh, joy. I actually, I left a lot of stuff in because, of course, we're leaving. We're not putting the garden to bed as one used to in Victorian times. We're leaving a lot of stuff in place because the birds like the seed heads. Yeah. And also it's better for the soil structure, which we spoke about last week, for everything to rot down. So I am weeding and then actually replanting pretty much straight away, feeding the soil a bit with a bit of compost that I've made mulch um, with all the plants and seeds that I planted back in the autumn, you right. remember. Yeah. Because I sowed a lot of uh, hardy annuals like the sweet peas and cornflowers and marigolds and lots of things like that. Carry on talking. I'm just going to let the dog in. Okie dokie. Um, so, yes, moving forward. So there's a lot happening over in Charlotte's Corner in the gardening world. Um, and, of course, I'm having to water things in the greenhouse because it's so hot. It's still frosty in the mornings. Yeah. Hard frost. Yeah. Was there this morning yeah. And ice on the cars. Yeah. Um, did I mention the Harsons last week? Yes. Because they are everywhere at the moment. Yeah. So I think what you said was that you... Let me see if I've got this right. So you took the bulbs when you grew them inside and you planted them outside and they become more naturalised and then they look more like bluebells? Yeah, I do. I did. Did I listen correctly? You did. Well okay. done. But it's a symbol of peace, commitment and beauty, but also power and pride. Yep, so it means quite a lot of things. And it's, again, it's um, the name is traced back to Greek mythology and there were two Greek boys that had a fight, and one of them was called Hikonithos, which is where the word Harsons comes from. Um, Hikonithos bouquet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doesn't have a slight <laughs> ring, does it? And, uh, it, you know, they had a fight, and he died, and then they named the flower after him. 
you know, I mean, I've generalised, but that seems to be what happens in Greek mythology. Did you watch Keeping Up Appearances? I used to. I used to right at the beginning, but um, I, I love Patricia Routledge. She's fantastic. I'm not a huge fan of comedy shows, bizarre. No. It just doesn't. I, I never have been. There's some like Ab Fab. I used to love, love, yeah. love Ab Fab. But I think because it was so outrageous. Stephen obviously loved it. There's been that sort of type of television, like butterflies, keeping up appearances, I mean, going back even further, the live, but there isn't that sort of slapdash comedy anymore, is there? Or do we just not watch it? Well, A, I think, well, the audience has changed. Um and it, of course, the whole, there's so many more channels. Mm. So you're never mm. going to get those kind of audiences for things like, you know, and the Live Birds was in many respects groundbreaking yeah. because it was, A, it was Liverpool. It was two female stars. Yeah. Um, it was a female writer as well yeah. with, with Carla Lane. And it was quite brave for the, for the time, uh, which was, you know, which now you just, you just can't even get no. your, your head around. No. I mean, only fools and horses. Um, I never used to, I've seen, look, I've seen some of the classic episodes. I just, it, it wasn't. Last of the Summer Wine? No, I couldn't stand Last of the That I could not stand. No. Nope. Um, so I've never been, I've just never really been big into. I did like Butterflies. Butterflies, I seem to remember. The two sons and the mother that couldn't cook. Yes. But I did used to love the fact that they used to, they used to all the manoeuvres they had to get. Oh, the cars. Drive, the cars, they yeah. had to drive. That rang a bell yeah. because, um, because we, well, we had loads of cars when we, all the kids, all the boys had learned to drive. There were three of us, you know, <laughs> used for car. It was crazy. Really? So how do we get onto those from Hyacinth? Well, Hyacinth's a flower. And then Keeping Up Appearances, which oh, right. was a Hyacinth television okay. show. Yes, yeah. there you go. Okay. We sidetracked a bit, lovely, <laughs> As um, we always do. Yes. It's the end of our 50th 5-0 episode. 50. I wonder how many minutes of airtime of whatever. Of nonsense. Of waffle. <laughs> of time that people will never get back. <laughs> Aged. Um, hopefully people might have picked up some interesting tips. Well, and I hope they'll be trying Stephen's take on bloody mary oh, i can't wait yes it's too early <laughs> i gotta go to work oh yeah <laughs> i know um but we are very very grateful to him for coming back in this month and talking to us about cocktail of the month uh to you all for sending us your <laughs> what are they called <laughs> Your blast from the past. Recipes. Recipes forgotten that you've now reinstated. Okay. So uh, continue to send those in to us because we'd love to feature those over future uh, episodes. And you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Voyage Around My Arga and email us at Voyage Around My Arga at gmail.com. Charlotte's just yawning. <laughs> Sorry. Really? That was a that, really big yawn, Am I that it? dull? <laughs> Well, yeah. well, <laughs> bye. <laughs> See you next week. Bye.